0: Well, I appreciate David's setup with the, for the gradual today because reminding us of the fact that we, we do have reasons to mourn and to be heavy-hearted, especially with all the violence that's been going on, the, the attacks in Buffalo to those innocent African-American people in a grocery store, and, and then, of course, this week, the attack on the elementary school down in Robe, Texas, or Robe Elementary School. Um, to me, it is always amazing how the Lord orchestrates his word and the season of his church to respond to times of great difficulty or times of just times where we need a word. I think that was true for me a couple of weeks ago when, uh, when I found out that I had been elected bishop. And it's certainly true today for me. And so I want to speak into that a little bit. I want to just remind you of that. I want to speak to those of you who do have heavy hearts today and uh, to remind you of the ascended Lord Jesus that we worship The Ascension is probably the most neglected of all the church feast days, probably because it comes on a Thursday. and I mean, who wants to show up on church on Thursday, right, and then come back on Sunday? But the reason we have it on a Thursday is because it's 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. Can you believe that Easter has been 43 days already? Let that sink in for a second. And so we have the Ascension, but oftentimes this is the Sunday that we traditionally remember Jesus' ascension and remind ourselves of how important it is to our theology. And so you see that reflected in the music, as Mother Susan said, and you see that uh, it, along with this theme of lament and how to, to deal with all the evil that we see around us. So there's five things that I want to remind you about the ascension just to begin with this morning just as a way of sort of helping us understand. Let's be honest, we are frail as humans, and when we go through things like these, like happened, when we see the sorts of uh, tragedies going on, we're reminded that it could easily be our own family, right, our own loved ones. And we're reminded of how fragile we are as humans. But I want to just speak a word to you about the power of Christ's ascension. Because we serve Jesus, the ascended Lord, he didn't just rise from the dead and sort of sit on the sidelines until the end of times. He ascended after 40 days to be with the Father. And by virtue of his ascension, Jesus is no longer specifically bound to a particular place. Think about it, even in his resurrection, Jesus still has to come to the disciples in the upper room or come on the road to Emmaus to those who are there or come to Mary outside the garden tomb. But Jesus is always, even in his resurrected form, he is in one place. But because of his ascension, Jesus is no longer bound spatially. That means that he can be with us wherever we are. And matter of fact, in a sense, he is more with us than he was with the disciples because he promises to give us the Holy Spirit who will celebrate the day of Pentecost next week. But the presence of Jesus through his spirit means that he is with us constantly, that he is with us in all of life's circumstances. And there are times where we will say, I don't know how that person can go through that But that's because you don't understand how the Lord's grace is poured out to us in the time of need. And in that moment of greatest our need, Christ is made more real and present to us. Secondly, by Jesus' ascension, he has been granted all power and authority Don't miss the idea of at the right hand of the Father. For that in the ancient world, whoever sat at the right hand of the king had the power and the authority of the king. When he speaks, he speaks for the king. That's the one who sits at the right hand. And so what we're being told here is that Jesus has been given all power and authority. There is no place that he is not reigning as all-powerful and with all authority. That has been granted to him by the Father. At his ascension, Jesus, thirdly, carries our humanity with him, as as the theologians would say, into the Godhead. Think about it. Jesus does not return as he left the Father and the Spirit, but he goes back with his humanity intact. Because of the incarnation, right? I know this is kind of deep theological thoughts, but, but, but just kind of grasp it for a second, that our humanity is now represented in the Trinity, the Godhead. And because of that, there is an empathy for us and an understanding of what it means to be human. Hebrews says that he is an always tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we can boldly come before the throne of God because... God now understands humanity from the inside out. He's one of us. Falling on that because of his ascension, there's a place that Jesus is preparing for us. I don't think this is meant to mean that, you know, the, the image of, of heavenly mansions and a, a place of where heaven is. I think ultimately we're, what the scripture says in Revelation is that we will... Dwell in a remade earth. God will make all things new. New heaven, new earth. And we will dwell in a world that is without false sin or weeping or suffering or pain or suffering. But when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, he means I go to prepare a place for you with the Father. That we can be as humans in the presence of God the Father because Jesus has gone before us and prepares a way Very comforting to me that Jesus is preparing a place for our humanity to be with him in his divinity. And then lastly, the fifth thing I want you to remember is through his ascension, Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us, to pray for us. Somebody said to me, why do we pray about Jesus being our only mediator? He says, other people can pray. Yes, other people can pray for us. But to know that Jesus, the Son of God, is interceding for us, is praying for us, is ministering to us. Romans 8.34 tells us, who is, a, who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who raised, the right, who is at the right hand of the Father and who intercedes for us. The bottom line, through Jesus' ascension, he gives us the hope and strength to walk through whatever we face in the day ahead. Whatever that day May bring Jesus is the ascended enthroned king of all creation, he has been given all power and authority, and nothing is beyond his knowledge and his power. Amen. Amen. We worship an ascended Jesus, and it's important that the church not neglect that fact because, in that, we are put right in our minds and hearts about the place in the world. Perhaps this is the reason why when the disciples see Jesus lifted up from them, wherever he goes, they don't cry out and mourn and, oh, Jesus, don't leave us. But instead, what do they do? They worship him because they now recognize that, our homeboy is now with the father, right? God, the son who has been with us, who has eaten and drunk with us. That, by the way, that's not actually in scripture, the whole homeboy thing. But he's with, he's now with the father, but he is, he's, he's going on our behalf. The one who loved us and gave his life for us is going back to be with the father. They didn't weep and cry, they worshiped and adored him. Jesus had reminded them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, through the ascended Jesus, they are represented, they have forgiveness, and they are constantly in communion with the Godhead. And of course, this begs the question, right? Not to ignore the elephant in the room. If Jesus is all-powerful and all-loving, why does he allow the suffering that we have seen the last few weeks? Why the random violence? Sometimes we can say, well, we understand violence, but, but what about random violence against helpless victims? I'm comforted by something Tish Warren has written. Tish is a fellow Anglican priest, and she wrote a book. I believe it's called Prayers in the Night. And in it, she says... We don't need a God that explains. We need a God who comforts, who walks with us. Now, we all want an explanation, but let's be honest. If at the end of the day, God's explanation is, I have a purpose in not thwarting this violence and and destruction, and you need to trust me, that's not going to be satisfactory. What we need is, is a God who comforts, who comforts us, and who walks with us. We have a God who has suffered and so can enter into our suffering. Beyond that, I would just encourage you to look at, Revelation 22 that we read today. And Jamie did an excellent job, by the way. I love the haircut this morning as well. Um, If you've got a Bible there and you want to turn to it or grab your Bible app, but if not, just just be reminded that Revelation 22 is the last chapter in the Bible. So if you felt like saying amen and just breaking into worship when you heard Jamie, in that passage, it's because this is the final word, amen, come Lord Jesus, which appropriately, and David and I didn't work this out, was actually the last lines of the song he sang. But in Revelation 22, John, who is this old disciple, probably living in captivity, all of his fellow disciples have been martyred, he alone is there. John is inspired to write the words that we have here. And look at what John says. I don't know if you caught verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy. Okay? And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, I don't believe that John was simply condoning evil and filthiness in the world. I think rather what he is saying is that evil and filthiness will go on for now. They will be a part of the world for now. But what he is also saying to the church is the righteous must continue to do right. And the holy must continue to be holy. And here's the point of us focusing on the ascension today. The next verse, verse 12, what John then is inspired to write, From the mouth of the ascended Jesus, behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Bringing my recompense with me. What does recompense mean? To make amend for those who have suffered loss or harm. Jesus says, I'm coming to make recompense To repay each for what he has done. Nothing gets past the ascended Jesus. No one gets away with anything. From his gaze or his recompense. The creed tells us that Jesus will come again. To judge the living and the dead, and we will either fall on our face before a holy God and receive the cleansing that only Jesus can give, for He alone is atoned for our sins, or we'll be left outside, as the, John writes on in Revelation, with the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves the practices of falsehoods. By the way, that's not the dogs you're thinking of. It's a joke. But the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who practices falsehoods, nothing escapes the ascended Lord's view. But now let me be clear, we don't have to stay in that place. You you don't have to stay as you are. I don't have to stay as I am. Paul tells the Corinthians, and such were some of you. As he relates all the different types of sin and sinful behaviors that are there, he lists a whole list. And then he says, and such were some of you. We can fall before the Lord Jesus. And we can be changed because of his atoning sacrifice. Don't forget that, that Paul, the Paul of Paul and Cyrus in the Acts chapter 16 is the same Paul who in chapter 7 stands by and holds the cloaks of those who murder Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And I believe Paul had a lot to do with that murder. Which is why if you read the book of Acts, Paul Spend so much time dictating to Luke, who wrote the physician who wrote the book of Acts, uh, in, in in detail about Stephen's martyrdom because Paul was there, and the way he was witnessed to by Stephen's suffering for Jesus was a part of his finally coming to faith. ultimately Paul will meet the ascended Jesus and what is it Jesus the ascended Jesus will say Saul Saul which is Paul's Hebrew name why do you persecute me when God's people are persecuted Jesus takes it personally why do you persecute me So what should we do? How should we then live, Francis Schaeffer said. Well, Revelation twenty-two, eleven: Let the righteous do right and let the holy be holy. The evil will go on doing evil. The filthy will go on being filthy. But let the righteous do right and the holy be holy. Three things. First, like Paul and Silas in that Acts passage, which was our first reading today, and I believe the Lord has given it to us, like, like Paul and Silas, we must proclaim darkness into the darkness, Jesus' glorious light. Paul and Silas see a woman who is a demonically possessed, and they pray that she would be delivered from her, her possession She's set free, and what do they get for it? They get thrown in jail and beaten, actually beaten and then thrown in jail. No good deed goes unpunished. The men who had controlled this young woman, who had power over her, who were oppressing her, had a stream of income, and she was giving them some monetary gain. And so Paul and Silas intervened in that, and they suffered greatly because of it. But Paul and Silas spoke into her life, set her free. And and in the meantime, in the process of that, actually opened up a way for them to not only see the young demonic girl set free, but also the jailer and the jailer's whole family. In the face of evil and harm and loss, and even persecution, we must continue to speak light into darkness. To offer the words of life, or as John says in Revelation, to offer the water of life, a drink without price. Maybe today you are here and You would say, I identify more with the the evil and the filthy than I do with the righteous and the holy, and I would say to you, that is the testimony of every believer in this building and every Christian believer in the world. And yet Christ offers to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, to forgive our sins, and to, to To put to wash our robe the way that John says in Revelation to give us this this free water to drink that that we might truly partake in Him today the ascended Jesus calls you to follow Him to cry out to Him for mercy so how do we respond we we do right the righteous do right. The holy to still be holy. Like Paul, we're called to proclaim the glorious light of Jesus into a dark world. But secondly, we are to live as those who identify with the church. This is what Ephesians 1, 20-23 says. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the hev- in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's the ascension that I was just talking about. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. Church, we must live our identity as Christ's body in the world. We can't be slaves to any culture or class, or political party. We're called to be the referees in this world, not on a team. That we would speak God's grace and truth and justice into all sorts of situations. Paul and Silas saw a young woman oppressed and they intervened. And they paid a price for it. But ultimately the kingdom of God advanced And God's glory was revealed. But thirdly, we must await the returning Christ. Just to remind you that when Paul wrote those words in Ephesians 1, where was he sitting in victory and power? He was sitting in a Roman jail. Waiting execution. Paul was not living in the reality that he saw around him and what he saw with his his, his natural eyes. he He was seeing the world as the ascended Jesus had proclaimed it. Amen? And he was writing to the church facing terrible persecution but to remind them of the reality that they had in Christ Jesus. We must live in the reality of Christ's ascension. This world will continue to have tragedies and sufferings. Jesus said it himself. It's probably the scripture I've quoted most at the altar or the communion table, whatever word you want to use over the years. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Why are we surprised when we're we're tribulated? In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world and all that is in it. We must await the coming Christ. This world will continue to have suffering and tragedies, but we cry out, we cry out, come Lord Jesus. And why do we cry that out? Because Jesus testifies, and it's right there at the end of Revelation 22. Surely I am coming soon. And John and the church respond, amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of Of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. We too say, come Lord Jesus. Complete your work of restoration and justice. Help us to stand boldly for your truth and grace and justice in the face of all the world's sufferings. Help us to bear witness to Jesus. Help us to see those men, women, and children that are going to come out of darkness into your glorious light. Let us, Lord, never lose sight of the work you've called us to do. Thank you, Ascended Jesus. Thank you, our King. We recommit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.